This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 267 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Philip Morgan. Good to have you back, Ruben. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Thanks very much. It's great to be back, and I'm Ruben Lerner. And this week, we are going to follow up on a previous show. I should probably know which show number it was. Episode number 257. So exactly two, 10 episodes ago, for those of you following play-by-play, week-by-week out there in podcast land. So on episode 257, I described on the eve of the launch of my new product, all the thought that I put into it and what I was going to do. And so we thought it might be fun to revisit what I had done, what went well, what went poorly, and uh, maybe get some advice from these other guys uh, as to how, how I could have done it better and what I could do going forward. So, I, I don't know, do you want me to like, summarize where things are? Do you want to ask questions? How, how do you guys want to run this? I am embarrassed to say I don't remember, maybe because I wasn't on the episode, or maybe I was, and I don't remember, so oh. a summary would be great. Sure. Sure. So I decided to become an expert in positioning. No, no, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So uh, I teach, uh, as many listeners know, I teach tons of Python courses. And the number one question I get from people is how can I sort of bridge the gap between a course and the real world? And my standard answer is, well, do lots of exercises, to which they said, okay, where are their exercises? And I said, ah... So I came up with my books. Uh, I have a book of uh, 50 Python exercises, a book of 50 regular expression exercises. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a subscription service, um, not video, which many people do in different languages and technologies, but a subscription email service. You can think of it as a paid drift campaign because it is a paid drift campaign. Um, and basically the idea is that you pay a monthly fee and every Tuesday you get a Python exercise and every Friday you get a Python, the, the solution to that exercise. Um, and I thought this might be attractive, interesting. When I ran it by people, they were extremely enthusiastic. Um, I ran it by my mailing list, or I actually asked on my mailing list, what sorts of products would you like to see me make? And 80% of the people on my mailing list said, yes, we would like to have Python exercises. No, they did not say they wanted to pay for them, but they said they were interested <laughs> in exercises. Um, and, and we'll get to that later, folks, uh, although I may be spoiling <laughs> the conclusion already. Um, so I launched it, I guess it was back in May. Um, and I, I got, um, so, so, so I, I launched it back in May and I got about 50 people to sign up, um, more or less within three, four days. And the way that I launched it was I launched it to my mailing list. Um, but I have now it's about 5,000, 6,000 people on my mailing list getting my weekly, uh, programming updates. Uh, and suggestions and, and so forth. Back then it was probably closer to about 3,000, 4,000. 
But even so, I launched it to my list. I did a whole launch sequence. I got a bunch of people to buy it. It was mixed in with a, uh, it was mixed in with a few other things. Anyway, I got 50 people to sign up. So far, so good. Um, and every Tuesday, more or less like clockwork, a new exercise goes on. Every Friday, a new, uh, um, you know, a new answer, a new solution comes out. I also set it up so there is a discourse forum. Um, so for every exercise, people can go to the forum and, um, discuss it with other people, share ideas, answers, and so forth. Um, and I, I'm actually very happy with, like, you know, from my perspective, the author, the product producer, I'm very happy with what I've got. These are new exercises. I've not used them in class, so they're sometimes a little rough around the edges. Um, and then I go back and edit them for future people. It's an evergreen campaign. So if you sign up right now, and you, dear listener, should go and sign up right now, um, then you uh, start with number one. So whenever you start, you start with number one. And someone asked me, how long do I plan to do this for? I said, I, I don't see any reason to stop. Right? Like I don't see this as a one-year thing. I see this as a an ad infinitum thing that people can just keep subscribing and keep improving. And I can then get sort of deeper and deeper into things and do more and more complex stuff. Um, so that's the sort of, oh, and, and I should also mention the subscription can be uh, either on an annual basis or on a monthly basis. So monthly is obviously more money. I think I'm charging, yeah, I'm charging $15 a month for a subscription uh, or $150 a year. So that's two months for free. Um, and I would say, Let's say two thirds of the people. No, maybe half the people have signed up for the annual subscription. The other half have signed up month to month. So that's the, that's the basic outline of uh, sort of what I launched and and where things are. Um, so so Ruben, can I ask? Yeah. Have people turned out? People who are on the monthly subscription have have they what turned out? I mean, like have they stopped their subscriptions? Yes. Yes. Yes, some of them have. Roughly, how how would you express that as maybe a percentage of? I mean, if you if you can pull those numbers together or have them handy, if not, I I don't. But I'm going to estimate that of the fifty, maybe sixty people who signed up, I'm going to guess it's around ten people have unsubscribed. Okay. Um, and the and I asked them to tell me why. Um, and and some have said that. Turns out their Python is better than they thought, meaning that the exercises were sort of too easy and they're comfortable with it and they don't need it. Um, some other people said they just don't have time for it. Um, I'm, I, I tried to set it so that it's about half an hour, an hour of work each week. Like that's all I want people to have to spend on it. Um, I've sometimes missed on that. Sometimes it's been a little too easy. Sometimes it's been a little too hard. Um, but I don't think, you know, an hour, hour and a half is probably the max. I think people should be spending on it. And my other question is how, after the launch, have you been, after the launch, how have you been promoting it, if at all? So this is where things get exciting. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so what happened was I launched it. I launched it using this thing called Easy Digital Downloads, which is a plugin for WordPress. So um, I set up WordPress. I mean, I already had WordPress running on my site. I put up, set up Easy Digital Downloads. It is indeed a fantastic, fantastic piece of software. Very impressive. Um, and Easy Digital Downloads lets you, it has two plugins that, and then the way it works is EDD is theoretically free, but you have to pay to get updates and support. Um, and then you pay for the uh, plugins that you want to use, the add-ons. And one add-on is for subscriptions, exactly what I wanted. And one add-on is for Zapier. 
So what I had was when someone would start a subscription, it would send a message to Zapier. Zapier would send a message to Drip, adding them to the campaign and sending them a welcome message. And when they would unsubscribe uh, or stop paying or whatever, then Zapier would get a message saying unsubscribed and then um, they would be unsubscribed. Worked beautifully. And then I upgraded my server. And I had a little bit of an issue there. Like it wasn't clear what was going on, but my SQL was, was like giving me a little trouble. And I had two thoughts. One was, okay, these things happen. You know, my SQL grumble, grumble, grumble. Uh, the second thought was, not a problem. I've got backups, right? I'm an experienced computer person. I'm not going to be so dumb as not to have backups. Uh, so you know about hubris and everything? Um, <laughs> and the shoemaker had, you know, cobbler still have no shoes and so forth. So it turns out that in upgrading my box, I wiped out the MySQL database on which WordPress depends. Number two was I had actually just used a PostgreSQL uh, backup program, and I converted to do MySQL, but I set one of the options wrong, such that it was reporting that it was backing up, but was not backing up. So a week into the launch, two weeks into the launch, I lost all records of all users and subscriptions and everything. Chaos ensued. Oh, man. <laughs> like... It was terrible. I, I was like rushing. I rebuilt my website and it's still not up to where I want to be more than at the moment. Um, but the real problem was that easy digital downloads gives this beautiful graph of how much money you have and how much you're going to get and the, um, you know, income you get per user, all the stuff you want, all the stats you want. And I had this suspicion that things were not going to work well when the next monthly payment came about. So the EDD people were super helpful and nice. They said, okay, this is what you want to do. You have to buy another plugin, right? Okay, fine. I don't care. $30, I'll pay for the plugin. I'll get it. And it's called manual payments. And I entered, actually, a high school student, entered manually each and every one of the people again. And we were back on track and everything was great. And still, when the next month came around, um, it did not register an EDD. So EDD thought people had not paid. So it unsubscribed them. <laughs> Like, and then I had to send an apologetic message. I still have one or two people I have to like resubscribe because I was on vacation without much internet connectivity. Um, so this has continued to be a thorn in my side and a problem. And until I get it super working, um, I'm a little scared of like advertising and marketing it in a huge way. So the only marketing I'm doing now is on my weekly developers list in the footer, uh, randomly. Sometimes it says people book, tell people, by the book, sometimes it tells people to use uh, you know, bi-weekly Python exercise. Once I make sure, and by the way, I've moved to a different server. I've, I've uh, abandoned the, any hope of trying to run my own WordPress system anymore, like a Linux system. I know how to do it, but I'm just not interested in spending time on that. And I'm now in a WordPress dedicated hosting facility, and still the payments are not exactly coming through. So I'm going to have to ask the EDD people what's going on. So like when someone unsubscribes, I see it in PayPal, and then I have to go and manually unsubscribe them from the drip campaign, which is a bit of a pain. Um, and as if that weren't enough, I noticed that things weren't quite firing in Zapier the way they should. And the EDD people said, oh, yeah, our regular plain vanilla PayPal payment system doesn't send messages to Zapier for unsubscribe. It only does it for subscribe. So I had to get the PayPal Plus plugin, which does do this. And it seems to be working correctly, but I have to like double, triple check it. So things are still a bit of a mess on that front, and so I've been very reluctant to market it on Massmore because I just don't want to have to deal with all the fallout. Now that I'm back from vacation, that's definitely one of the things I'm going to do in the coming weeks, get it up and running in a, in a more stable way. So 
this is a message <laughs> to everybody listening. Also, listen to episode 236 of this podcast where we talk about your first digital product. In that episode, I clearly remember Jonathan saying, and all of us nodding vigorously in agreement, if you build your own system, this is not me uh, uh, criticizing you, Ruben, but this is such a great case study of why you uh, <laughs> maybe don't want to build your own system. Jonathan said it's a procrastination technique. I realize in, in this case, you were kind of stitching together various hosted platforms. So it wasn't like you were coding your own payment system, but this exact story plays out. I think every time someone does have to roll their own system from scratch, right? It's so yeah. much more complicated than you think it's going to be. It's like, yeah, I know Linux. I know how to do that. It's like, and it's fun at first build stuff. It's just so much more complicated to do on your own. Even when you know what you're doing. Right, right, and that that's been like definitely some of the uh, you know some of the frustration here, where I understand how all this stuff is supposed to work, and I've written stuff that does this before. And I thought, oh, well, it's all third parties, and the third parties all work together, right? And and even better, I um, signed up for my own product about a week before I launched it, so I could get a preview a week before, making sure that everything's working. And gosh darn it, that payment is still working perfectly. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> so I get the notification. It updates everything. Like it is fantastic. So as far as I think, I, I paid myself a quarter. Like I gave myself some special coupon code that would be like a tiny payment each month. And so every single month, I make a quarter off of myself, and it's recorded and it goes through and everything's great. Everyone else, total and utter disaster. So yeah, so the more. Now, the thing is, like, I had considered going to, um, what were they called? Sendowl or somewhere else. Um, and, and part of my frustration here is that because my company is not based in the U.S., a whole lot of things don't work. Stripe, for example, doesn't oh, work. Oh, I see. So there are all these recurring payments things that would have done beautifully and then exactly what I want. Um, and I even emailed, I forget, one of you guys told me about, I think it's called Moon Clerk. Yeah. So what I they use, they use Stripe. So I emailed them and said, hi, I see you use Stripe. I'm not based in the U.S. What should I do? By the way, don't tell me to set up a U.S. company. Answer <laughs> comes back. I know, you know what they're going to say, right? As it comes back, we don't support companies outside the U.S., but it's so easy to set one up. Go to this link and Stripe will help you to do it. I was actually going to ask about that, Ruben. Is that uh, is that like an iceberg of pain and complexity, or yes, okay, and and it is well. Well, setting up a U.S. company, I think my accountant would kill me um, because I'm already so irresponsible when it comes to bookkeeping <laughs> that this would just add a new layer of complexity and anger. Um, but and the thing is, I have a company, like, I, and I've been using it for years, and it works well, and everything is good. It's just that so, so, so many companies won't let, like, they just don't support things outside of the U.S. or the U.S. and maybe a handful of European countries. Um, there is, so I'm using PayPal, and some people got annoyed with me for that because they don't want to use PayPal, they can't use PayPal. Um, I went to payment provider to checkout, which is well known um, and supports Israel. And EDD supports it. So it sounded great. So I went to them and I said, oh, I'd like to sign up as a vendor. And I got back email about two days later saying, sorry, you are providing products that are on our forbidden list. Check out this, this webpage and you'll see what, you know, what you're doing is on there. So go there and look. It's like, 
drugs, pornography, slavery. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, which which one do I <laughs> Python <hate>? exercises. <laughs> Strangely, that, that was not on the list, uh, although you might expect it. So I emailed them, and I said, what's going on? They said, we're sorry, but um, we, we can't help you. So the thing is, this was a person writing to me. So I decided I would just call her. And I called her and I said, what the hey? I'm, sent, I'm like sending out a, a paid newsletter. How is this forbidden? Oh, is that what you're doing? Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll call our people right now. Hold on the line. She comes back about three minutes, minutes later and says, I have great news for you. You have been approved to use two checkout. However, since we don't allow people to use two checkout for consulting services, you will have to remove any mention of your consulting and training business from your website. <laughs> you mean from I a said, website okay. where you sell consulting and training services? <laughs> <laughs> precisely. Precisely. So I said, uh, well, what's, what's, like, what's wrong with it? I'm not going to be using to check out or any of this stuff to do consulting or training. And she said, well, the problem is that you mentioned that you work with Google and other companies. And you can't mention that unless you have a letter from them stating that it's okay to use their company name on your website. And I said, I don't, I don't mention I work with Google. I've never worked with Google. She said, it says it right there on your front page. Why are you using Google to search for Python solutions? What, why not just learn it yourself? I said, uh. I might. <laughs> so, so basically this lack of payment processor flexibility has led to hours upon hours of frustration and run around and everything. So for now, I'm just using PayPal. And and my next step is basically make, get that staple somehow and probably even just hire someone from the EDD team to figure out what the heck is going wrong. Then, once that's working, then I can think more about marketing. And my thinking on that front is, first of all, use my mailing list. I mean, crying out loud, that's why I have a mailing list. Second of all... um maybe do some paid advertising, although I'm skeptical that that will work well, just because like there's a, like they don't know me. They don't trust me. So why should they pay me for something? Um, so I'm open to suggestions on that front, you know, beyond the mailing list. And I should say, I'm, I'm very successful about getting people onto my mailing list through Facebook ads for email courses. So on Facebook, they see something that says, try my free email course. A lot of people sign up and then they're dumped onto my regular list. So that, that's actually working out. Okay. Interesting. What's the what's the column that you write in the the Linux magazine? Uh, in Linux Journal, I write a like a developer column. I mean, it used Is to be only web stuff, but um, it's called At the Forge for historical silly reasons that have no no good explanation. Um, someone had a picture of a blacksmith lying around, I think, and they decided to use it for my column, and that was that. But do you talk about Python? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I I, I mentioned my newsletter. I think I mentioned Weekly Python Exercise, but if not, like. If they get my newsletter, they will hear about it soon enough. Right. I guess that makes sense. Um, I and I well, like check. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go. I was no, just going to say, yeah, like the, the, I feel like there's two, at least like, at least two, maybe three things going on that are, that are a super drag. Like, how would you normally take payment for things online? Like, can you, cause uh, to me, like the, just from a technical standpoint, I guess it's not even the, other than a cautionary tale, I don't think that's really what we, the main thing to talk about here, but it's almost like the idea of like, okay, figure out how to take payment and then 
you've got the delivery mechanism set up. Like that's, that hasn't been a problem. It's just making the, finding a payment thing that, that is going to be, you know, work for you, which I guess PayPal is the one. And then really the problem is plugging it in to the other thing. And like, <laughs> I've used Zapier plenty of times in the past and it works for really dead, simple, dumb things. But if I do anything remotely complicated, I can't remember where the logic is and I'll go into drip and I'll be like, why is this working? <laughs> you know, like, like I've got some integration set up between the coupon codes in, in, uh, send owl and, and in drip so that if somebody uses a coupon code, I know what coupon they used inside a drip, which doesn't happen natively. And then I'll, I can't, when I go to change something or I add something, I forget to update Zapier. It's like, there's like business logic all over the internet. And I've, I've, found that I prefer to just keep it simple and and uh handle things manually, which I think is is perhaps I mean you said you're gonna talk to the EDD guys about making it work, but I'm like I would personally wait until there was so much volume that I couldn't do it manually. As crazy as that might sound coming out of a programmer's mouth. No, that's but like that's actually who really a cares idea. Yeah. Like if you don't get if 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 somebody unsubscribe stops paying you and you don't unsubscribe immediately, who cares? Right. You know, just right. get to it once a month. Do your unsubscribes and you know just make as long as your subscribes are working. That's the important part. Right, and that's and, actually working out okay. That that for now the subscribing is working fine. I mean, there there's some people who sort of got unsubscribed. And I thought I'd resubscribe them, and I hadn't. And it makes it a tiny bit complicated to resubscribe someone to a campaign. On a particular yes. message, mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it's definitely possible to do, and the, the help people there were great. But I think your point about doing it manually is a good one, um, especially removing someone from a paid product is fraught with danger. Right? They will get furious with you if you do that, as I have discovered. Um, but if they're getting something for free, it's not costing you anything, and they'll just love you more. Yeah, unless they're afraid they're going to get recharged. That's, I mean, that's certainly, you know, like, oh, I unsubscribed from this and I got two more free ones. Are you going to charge my, my PayPal again? You know, but it's definitely the, you know, to a developer, it feels like a binary thing. They're either subscribed that, you know, they either just subscribed or they just unsubscribed. But when the real world, those are two very different situations in the mind of the person doing it. So it's not just this toggle switch. It's like, uh, like, like you said, when you toggle it on, you want it on immediately because they just paid you. And when they toggle it off, it's still important to turn it off, but it's certainly not as critical. Like, oh, I just took your money and you get nothing. Right. It's like different emotionally. Right. So uh, an another issue um, that I've been struggling with to some degree, and I knew this would be something of an issue, is what? how do I aim the level? Right? Because if I say to people... Um, you know, I'm going to help you improve your Python, right? Well, that could be anyone. It could be someone starting at zero. It could be someone with five years of experience who just wants to improve things. Um, and a few people, I guess it was like one or two, maybe, who said, this was too easy for me. I'm unsubscribing. A few others have unsubscribed and not said anything. And by the way, I should say I have a um, questionnaire that I send out at the end of every exercise saying, please give me your feedback. And I even look at it. Um, so they can go to SurveyMonkey and they can quickly click on this was too easy, this was too hard, this was interesting. Overall, I think I'm sort of hovering around the right area, but there are definitely going to be people who say it's too hard or too easy. Um, there are one of the, sort of my most enthusiastic users, about two or three of them, um, who are on the forum every week and discussing things. 
they tend to say it's too hard, but they're enjoying the hardness. Like they're, they're enjoying the fact that it's challenging them. Like they don't know much about one of them, especially doesn't know much about object oriented programming. So he's been very encouraging of me to have lots of stuff that includes classes and objects and methods because he wants more, uh, um, sort of exercise and practice in that. But knowing how to tell people who is this aimed at, I, my basic argument has been, if you've taken a Python course, or if you've read one of my books, then this is a good next step. Or you can either do my book, or you can do this, and this will be a great way to sort of improve your skills. But maybe on the sign-up page, you show like two or three examples. And you're like, if these are too easy for you, then don't sign up. That is a great idea. Yeah, I like that. I was I was thinking you just throw up your hands and don't do anything <laughs> because yeah, my experience that. is that well, I I was stuck there mentally because my experience is you know, you say you say okay, this is 200 level, but what does that mean? Or this is intermediate, but what does that mean? Um I think you and I've talked about this before Ruben where it's I mean there's even like sort of cultural um issues that come into play. Like some people don't want to be perceived as a slow kid or as a beginner, so they'll overestimate right. their ability. Anyway, but Jonathan's solution is very elegant. You just uh, pick representative examples and let people sort of self-select based on that. I like that. Yeah, you could even use the first three and be like, hey, you want the answers to these three? Sign up here and you'll get them. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Right, just put the questions, not the answers. I like that. Is there any kind of, you know, let's let's say a one-month free trial or anything like that, or do you pay to get started from day one? So you pay to get started from day one. I say that if you cancel in the first month, I'll give you a refund. Right. Um, no one has taken me up on the refund so far. Oh, that's, that's a good sign, I'd say. Yeah, doing a doing a free period at the beginning with only PayPal as an option sounds like it would be really, really hard. But the, yeah, I think the refund thing PayPal, is I think PayPal supports that actually. Do they? Or, or ETD does that. I think I can set that up. But truth be told, I think it's pretty like uh, generous of me or nice of me or almost equivalent. Start paying if you really hate it or if it's too easy. Stop, and I'll give your money back. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, and then then they can uh, give me feedback also. You know what's good or not. And I tried to make those first ones sort of. I think one of them was kind of on the hard side, one that was kind of on the easy side. So to see, you know, roughly sort of what I was oscillating between. You know, one thing, it's, it's a little bit out of context now, but I wanted to say that uh, it sounds like it's been about three months since you launched this. And I always think of that as the ideal minimum length for a serious experiment, such as, mm. such as this. So it's neither here nor there, but just for the folks at home, um, I, I think that the fact that you know so much about how this is going is a byproduct of the fact that you've, you gave, it's not like you did it for two weeks and then we're having this conversation after two weeks. It's, it's actually enough time and, um, water under the bridge to draw some real conclusions about how it's going. Right. Um, so I've definitely managed to get a fair amount of information uh, from this. And I agree that if I try to do this after a week or two, um, then I wouldn't have had any information. Like I, I, I wouldn't have been able to make any intelligent uh, decisions or or draw any intelligent conclusions. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, what, what can I say now? I, so in some ways, I think if I could go back and change, I mean, there were a lot of things, also things I would change, but not hugely. 
I mean, I think most of them would be on the technical side. Well, let's see. So I think my overall take on this is the the churn, like the number of people who decide after paying for it and experiencing it for a while, and then they decide they would rather not pay for it, and they feel strongly enough about having that money that they write you, <laughs> you know, and say, hey, let's you know, terminate my subscription. Those numbers seem really within within range for a subscription service like this. Um, so I would say you have, I mean, it feels to me like you have a healthy product. I, I don't know if that's in line with what you're thinking and, and feeling about this, Ruben, but it just, it feels like a healthy product. It seems like the question is uh, getting more subscribers, right? Right, right. So, you know, there's the old, uh, not not so old, but uh, Amy Hoy's 30 by 500. So if I'm charging 15, so, you know, I was hoping for 15 times a thousand. So I do need a lot more subscribers, but it's also the sort of thing where if someone subscribes today, I mean, I've already written, what, 13, 14 uh, um, exercises worth. So I do zero work, and it's all set up for the next three months for those people. So I can really, like in addition to just writing more exercises, I can then start to turn my attention to how do I market this? How do I find those people? How do I get them to set up, sign up? And how do I just increase those numbers? Because there will be people who quit after a month. There will be people who quit after three months. Yeah. And and I've set it up also so that if they ever, and I tell them this, if they restart, then they'll restart from wherever they stopped. So it's not like they'll have to you know, reset from the beginning. So I have questions. So how exactly are you promoting this to your email list? So in the footer of my weekly message, Currently, I'm just doing a random number generator using Drip and uh, the what they call templates, liquid templates. So I'm not doing something smart along the lines of, well, if you've already bought my book, then you might be interested in this and show them the weekly Python exercise. But I think, uh, I mean, I'll try to pull it up now. But it basically says in the footer for a third of the people um, looking to level up your Python, um, you know, subscribe to a weekly Python exercise. Every week, you'll get a new challenge to improve your skills and your fluency, something like that. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. So if you check them out at the show's link, that's Hired.com slash Freelancer Show, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. A suggestion. Uh, here's what it would look like if you took this suggestion. You would, in Drip, create a campaign, which is a, a free sample, essentially, 
uh, of weekly exercises, answers to those exercises. And so like each week in this campaign, you might send out three emails. One's the, the challenge, the next is the answer, and then the third is, hey, if this is uh, of interest to you, you might want to consider the signing up for this, you know, the full version. Here, here's all the benefits of doing that. Here's some feedback from people who have done that. Here's, um, you know, here's what the the developer, here's what a, a senior Python developer makes. Are you making that much per year? You know, you kind of, you're selling the product, but you're, and you're selling it perhaps more assertively than you might do with your general list because this is to people who said, I'm curious, tell me more. And that would be the last part of this is the way people get into this campaign is a, a drip trigger link that allows them to sign up for the sample. So that also is something, you know, once that campaign is set up, which is not easy, you know, don't underestimate the amount of work it takes to write a good sales campaign. But maybe you could reuse some of your samples from elsewhere. You've probably got some sawdust lying around that you could use for the actual challenges and then the corresponding solutions to those challenges. So you really, really would just be writing three or four um, sales emails and then some drip automation to allow people to opt into that. That's one idea I want to pitch at you for promoting this in an ongoing fashion to your email list. So you're saying basically instead of just sort of, it was Jonathan before who described it as being binary, instead of binary of, you know, you read about it, you're off, you know, you click on it, you're on, or you click on you pay, you're on. Here we can sort of ease people in and say, are you curious to see what this is like? I'll send you a sample for free. And then I don't even have to do with the Tuesday, Friday thing. I can do with the day by day thing and give them, say, three sample, you know, exercise, solution, exercise, solution, exercise, solution. After the last solution, I can say, and then here, here it has to be sort of clever sales, not do you want to know more Python, but do you want to be a more successful developer and get better jobs or make more money? Some, something like that, more tangible that will really whet their appetite. And I can do that because I know that they've been more interested. Yeah. So I can be a little pushier. Yeah, I mean, uh, pushy is one word for it. I just describe it as being more assertive in your selling, which I think you can mm -hmm. feel very comfortable doing because it is not to your entire list. It is just to people who said, I'm curious about this thing. Right. And then you can do interesting things like run perhaps a time-sensitive discount at the end of that little campaign. I, I tend to call these micro-courses. They're sort of like an email course, but they're... They're smaller, and they're just exposed to people who are on your list. Although there's no reason you couldn't, once you set this up, create an opt-in on the sales page for the subscription product, that and people can opt into this little micro-course straight from the sales page. But anyway, it's typic I typically use these to sell something to my list, but I'm not selling it to the entire list, and therefore I feel more comfortable uh, being more assertive in the sales language. More pushy, as you as you put it. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot, and and I don't mean to demean people who write good sales copy because they really do a good job, and it is hard work. But setting up at least an initial version of this kind of small campaign with a trigger link doesn't strike me as that much work. Yeah, it, I mean it's it, it's a it's there's a sort of iceberg quality to it in that writing good sales copy takes more time than you tend to think up front. And you can demean us all 
want we were, we were laughing earlier today. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but um, yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, I think that might be something to think about. And you're right; it, it doesn't have to take a lot of work to set up. You can set up a very basic, rudimentary version of it, and then come back after a few months and see how it's doing. And then if if it's doing well, invest more time and make this the sales copy better, or make the sequence longer, or do something that. Uh, it is an experiment in making it perform better. That seems super smart. I totally agree with the that that idea of creating the trigger link to opt them into a a preview campaign. Um, and, and while you guys were talking, it occurred to me two things occurred to me that are sort of unrelated to each other. But uh, one was you you send out on the normal list, you send out a Tuesday email and then a Friday answer, right? What if you, what right. if on Wednesday or Thursday, probably Thursday, you just every Thursday you send out a hey, did you do your exercise yet? Answers coming out tomorrow thing, like a little reminder email, maybe with a um, did you try it and get stuck type of thing? Hit reply, I'll give you a hint or something like that, just to just to give them uh, an opportunity to engage to help you set the either set the level or just increase engagement in a way that's not, cause it's, I think you said that the exercises could take anywhere from 30 minutes to 90 minutes. Which yeah. Sounds, the, the, depending on the, depending on the week and the person. Right. Right. So, um, maybe a little reminder that they could jump in, you know, click here to jump into this, uh, would you say discourse jump for this week or however that works. Um, I don't know that. Anyway, maybe that occurred to me. I, I think, I think on that front, like people know what's going on. I don't think anyone said, "Oh, I, I feel abandoned," or you know, I don't. I, don't, you know, or I, I think they know they're getting it. And my impression is, people are just sort of a little overwhelmed. Even once a week is a lot to have to keep up with this stuff. You've got a mm. full-time job and such. Right. It, I'm wondering. So I don't know the answer to this, obviously, but I wonder if it's that they forgot to do it by the time the answer rolls around, and they're just like, oh, "I'll just read the answer," and or if it's that they, you know, either they forgot to do it or they tried to do it and they couldn't finish it. That seems impossible, though, because you could Google around and figure out the answer, I suppose. But um, but Brennan, Brennan Dunn, who is a drip master, it does a similar sort of self-paced course that is, you know, don't get me wrong, this is complicated to set up. But he, he has it set up so that you can you can fast forward through it. So if you did like a, um, if you did like, if somebody was like, they get the question and they're like, okay, but then he has a place to click to where they would actually do the answer. So kind of like code pen or something and they would fill it out or they fill out in his case, I think it's a worksheet, but in your case it would probably be something like code pen if that even exists for Python. And they do the thing and like, oh, look, they're done. You got it correct. You didn't get it correct. And then it sends, then they, it's like, oh, do you want your next question now? You know what I mean? So it's instead of sending them like, it's somewhere in between sending them once a week and sending them like 365 exercises to just plow through. And it's not like I'm suggesting that you should do that, but it sure would be interesting to know the difference between 
so like when someone churns out, it'd be interesting to know if they never tried anything and they just eventually unsubscribed and they didn't ask for their money back because they felt stupid that they didn't even try any of them. Or if they are actually trying them, but then not getting the answer, not doing them. Cause you don't really know if they did any of them, right? Right. There's no way for me to know. My gut feeling is that they just haven't had time to do it. I mean, speaking as someone who has bought online courses and then not done them, and they're sort of, you know, sitting, gathering virtual dust there. Um, but do they that, forget, or do they do they forget, or do they think I should do that? And it, like, it's another to do. Like, oh, I get that. I have to do that exercise. Right. That, that's what I think it is. I, I, th- I think it's that basically they say, oh, you know, I signed up for this, and I really want to do it. I just, I just don't have time for it, so I'll unsubscribe. You know, and mm-hmm. or if, again, if they're like me. Every week you say, oh, I really should be doing this. I really should be doing this. And then after a month or two, you say, forget it. I, I, I'm, I'm accepting reality. I I'm just making myself feel guilty. I'm paying to right. feel guilty. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, the, probably, probably the easiest solution to that is to find people who are just the type of people who love puzzles. Like It sounds like there's a couple of really engaged people in the, the discourse community. And just the, probably the easiest solution is just find more people like that who just are excited to figure out a puzzle. Right, so I have an automatic email message go out from Drip a month after they subscribe. And it says, hey, what what do you think so far? Too easy, too hard? Like, give me your suggestions. Give me topics that you're interested in. I'm really curious to hear. And I haven't gotten that many responses to that, but I feel like it's important that they see that I'm, I care that I'm engaged. Um, and one person said, subscribing to this was the best decision I've made in a long time. Wow. So I want you, people you, like You have him. that on your sales page, right? Not yet. Ruben. But no, the sales page is pathetic at this point because it's still like the barely rebuilt one that I did. And then I went on vacation. It will be a thousand times better with that quote on it. Get permission and publish that That, thing. That should be the headline. Yeah. Right. No, I I need to redo the sales page like from top to bottom. And that would be on top. Yes. Well, what are you doing this podcast for? (laughs) (laughs) You should have called in sick. If we'd known, so we'd have given you the day off, Ruben. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's, I'm gonna it's second. All the zeros at the end of our salary. The salary starts with the zeros too. Uh, you're out of vacation <laughs> days for the podcast. <laughs> you know, Ruben, in my um, the course, the position course, I have these automated reminder emails, and I start um, towards the end, start calling people names. Um, <laughs> in, in, I'm, re- I'm looking at one right now. It says, "You are a mumble crust, do beater, loiter sack." Saddle goose, wiffle waffer, slacker, freelancer. Get busy. <laughs> you nerf herder. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I feel like, look, the, again, the the there seem to be three classes of people, right? Those who unsubscribe for various reasons. Those, and then it's like any online community. Then you got the lurkers. Maybe they'll be looking at the discourse forum. Maybe they'll be doing the exercises. They're reading it, but they're not actively engaged. And then there's a small community, again, just like any online thing, where it's a small community of people who are over-the-top, enthusiastic, loving it, excited. I actually got an email from someone today saying, I'm sorry, I'm going away to uh, on vacation, and my wife will really be upset if I spend time on Python exercises, so I won't be participating this week, but I'll get back to it next week. Wow. I'm thinking, whatever, sure. <laughs> Do whatever you want, guys. I was going to mind that. Um, but it's clear that he's really like engaged, enjoying this and, and, and sort of wants to, it's like the people who say, I've got a meeting, I'll be out of class for an hour. Um, okay. That's very nice of you to tell me, but I'm going to keep going regardless. And 
I'll help you when you come back if you need. So, so there's definitely like some population. I need to figure out exactly what it is for whom this has been the perfect solution. If I can identify their pain and pitch it to them in the right way, then I'm going to be where I want to be. I was just going to quickly say, I, I second what Philip said earlier, which is it sounds like you get a healthy product here. Like definitely. Yeah. Back to promotional ideas. So I am sure Ruben, and, and this is, I can say this because this is true of almost everybody that, that you're probably underutilizing your own list as a promotional channel. And I think that that will, you'll start to rectify that over time. Now that you've got some more time to focus on this product. Are there other Python email lists where you could contribute some content as a means for promoting or getting exposure for this product? Possibly. Um, what I found has been successful so far in driving traffic to my list and to what I do is when I post on my blog, um, it's, it's part of this blog syndication, um, this thing called Python Planet. So basically, um, and that has, so I have, I don't know, however many, I think it's like a thousand, two thousand followers of my blog on various services, but Python, Planet Python, I guess it's called, has like 8,000 followers, and that collects all the blog posts from all the Python blogs. So when I post something and tag it as Python, it's then seen by many more people. They come to my site, and some number of those sign up for my mailing list. And again, then over time, they are marketed too. But maybe I can have, for example, after I have this mini sample campaign set up, I can put that on my blog. And then lots of people will probably sign up because people will sign up for something that's free. And then I'll also know to target them and market to them. And they might hate that. They might hate that, but ha, some of them will buy it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm open to other ideas, too. Yeah, I think there's other venues out there. Like, I remember some years ago signing up for this hosted, it was sort of like a Python environment as a service platform. I can't remember the name of it, but you could run Python code, you know, in the cloud, in the cloud. And they had a sort of terminal that you could connect to through your web browser. And it had a very heavy educational component to it. I'm going to do some digging around in my email while somebody else is talking to see if I can find that. But companies like that could make good places to promote this, I think. Yeah, quite possibly. I, I, I believe that. I don't remember. It's called Python Anywhere. Let me see if they're still in business. I think I, I, think I have seen that somewhere. You saw it in the cloud. <laughs> Host running code Python in the cloud. Yeah, PythonAnywhere.com. Isn't uh, this is a total hail mary? Hail mary, but I have talked recently to some, shall we say, younger coders who have told me about the interview process at Google. I don't know if it's actually called the interview process, but they like study for weeks. To, yes. I don't exactly know what the deal is. It seems like, it seems like there's uh, lots of testing or something. And isn't, and I believe that Python is a big, it's one of the Python and Java and I suppose JavaScript are like the three approved languages to use as a Google employee. 
It so, was. I, I'm assuming it still is, or at least you can use it on like the the you know the I don't know, entrance exams, interviews, whatever. Yeah, Go is not one of their approved languages. I I don't know. I'm, I'm I like guess this it is, is. Okay. probably when I read this was before Go, so <laughs> a long time ago. But I'm wondering if that is a potential value proposition. You know, like would you pass the Google entrance exam or whatever it's called? You know, or maybe that's way too advanced for the, for your actual target market. But I'm trying to think of yeah. like value propositions for learning Python. Like what's the, why Python specifically? I mean, before the show, we were talking about machine learning and I'm interested in looking to Python for that because it seems like the obvious choice. So, you know, maybe as you're, as you're acquiring new, uh, customers and you talk to them it's just maybe something to look out for like what are you planning on using python for is this like your day job or are you like a machine learning scientist or data scientist or are you doing visualizations or something like why do you care right so i mean my I, I keep thinking of the people who take my courses and these tend to be folks from large companies so it's not necessarily an appropriate slice of the market, but those people tend to be anywhere from, uh, system administrators and, you know, what they call like, you know, engine, what do they call them? Like integration engineers. So people who are, um, not day to day hard coding folks, but they're, they need to increasingly do coding in order to do their jobs. Um, so they want to learn Python because so many other, so many libraries are available or they know that their system is, you know, connecting to Python or can use Python libraries and so forth. But I also have some serious coders, you know, C, C++, Java, .NET, who've just been told you should really learn Python because it's good for your career and because we're going to be doing stuff in it. And then you have the people doing like testing and then you have the people doing data analysis. I was convinced when I started learning Python, uh, started teaching Python that most of my people would be me which are coders who want to do web stuff. And that turned out to be completely wrong. Um, I mean, I sometimes teach them web stuff, like what they call Django or Flask, mm-hmm. but usually not. Yeah, that's usually my experience too. Don't just do web stuff. Right. That's my experience too. Like web stuff is like Ruby has that. Ruby got it. <laughs> right. So it's interesting because, you know, I have always been – sort of intrigued by python but um you know what was the is it just no point i know javascript javascript is my main language now and like php is my legacy language for server-side stuff or i mean now javascript's everywhere but but uh because the machine learning stuff i've been looking more and more at python you know and it's like oh okay well that would be significantly easier to do than waiting around for some you know some wicked old person to write a PHP library for it. So, you know, it's like, it, it's, uh, it just seems like a potential, like looking at the reason why somebody would even, uh, not I, I, making it sound like I don't like Python, but like, what's the, what's the main reason? Why is Python so attractive? You know, what's the main reason why Python's so attractive? And it, it's, I, I agree that it's not web stuff. So what are the other things and find those people and put it in front of them? Because especially, I think especially for somebody who's not a full-time Python coder, 
like that seems like a really attractive market for a incredibly inexpensive product that is just going to constantly kind of push the envelope. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I think so. Um, look, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me to see that Python is basically everywhere now. I mean, my 14 year old was in an entrepreneurship and coding pro- uh, program over the summer for three weeks, like this intensive program and they learn Python. Um, and universities are now teaching Python and companies are using Python and systems and data scientists and on and on and on. So it's sort of increasingly hard to find corners of the computer world that don't use it. So in many ways, the value proposition is you really should learn this because almost no matter where you work, it's going to be a big plus if they're going to use it. Um, but then there's also the, you can take advantage of lots of libraries that work with it. There's the, you can do a lot of things in a small amount of space. I had one system administrator who rewrote some crazy number of bash scripts in Python. He said it's now like 10, 20% of the original size and runs faster and is easier to maintain. So you have all these people just sort of discovering what they can do with it. But the people who come through my classes typically have managed to stumble through it or, or go to Stack Overflow and figure it out enough to like get going a bit. But they don't have the fluency. That The comparison I often make is if you go to a country where you don't speak the language, um, you can use a phrase book. Right. And it will work, but you feel incredibly limited. And that's what I see going to Stack Overflow is doing or you know, search on Google, if that's permissible in our legal framework for the podcast. Um, <laughs> but like if you can become fluent in language or have a greater sense of fluency and not be so dependent on the phrase book, suddenly your ability to articulate ideas and be expressive is dramatically better and you become much better at your job. That's why I talk a lot about fluency. And that's why I'm sort of, that, that's the, that's the sort of technical value proposition I'm offering people. And the outcome of that is supposed to be then you'll have more jobs to choose from and there'll be better jobs. Sounds like you could also get your work done faster, which as long as you're oh, not doing yeah. many hours, a huge benefit. So like if you work for a company and it's going to take you one hour to do something that would have taken you a week last week, Hello. That's awesome. You just gave yourself a raise. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it, look, it's there, there's your headline. Give be, yourself a raise. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It, it, it's fascinating for me to see that Python's been around for so long. I'm not saying it hasn't changed and improved because I think it has, but I never in my wildest dreams, you know, 20 years ago would have imagined that it is so white hot. And yet it is. I mean, everywhere I go, people, I mean, people are just like falling over themselves to learn Python. What what do you what do you think? How did you know the trajectory of Python deviate from PHP or? I guess PHP would be the closest comparison in terms of a similar enough language that's also widely used. I'd say Ruby actually. Yeah, they're all sort of in the same family: Ruby, Perl, PHP, even JavaScript. Um. Perl might actually, I think, almost be a better comparison. Like, I think a Perl is like not dead, but as close to dead as you can get. Per- right. Perl's biggest problem was Perl, right? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I disagree because like Perl back when I was using Perl um, and wrote a book on Perl, so there was this huge competition between the Perl and the Python worlds, and so I'm fond of saying that it's not that. Python one, it's that Perl committed suicide. <laughs> it's that basically, like Larry Wall said, you know what guys, Perl five is great. Let's make Perl six. 
And Perl 6 is going to be so great, we're going to rewrite the entire language out of a completely different syntax. So he did it. And I'm not exaggerating here. No exaggeration. 20 years after announcing Perl 6, it was released. And here, this is a slight exaggeration. You know, the five people who were waiting all that time <laughs> were overjoyed. And the rest of the Perl world had gone on to other languages. And and Python just sort of, you know, it's like the, the tortoise and the hare, right? Just kept moving forward slowly, incrementally, cleverly. And it's a testament, I think, to um, Quido van Rossem's uh, vision of let's keep the language simple, let's keep it powerful, that just sort of moved into more and more places under the radar until suddenly, wow, it's everywhere, everyone's using it. How many times does that lesson have to be learned in the programming world? Like, never, never rewrite it from scratch. It's ridiculous. XHTML, XML2, I mean, there's there's a million of them. I mean, I feel like, I feel like Angular 2 almost did this to themselves. Right, right. Um, anyway. No, it was, it was shocking. So Python is like just kept pushing ahead and this vision of clean, easy to read code, of everything's an object, um, of let's make it easy for people to do things. And quite frankly, somehow, you, you know how different countries have different, um, sort of ways of, uh, you know, behaving. Or the different cultures. So programming languages have that too. And Python people, and I realize, you know, there are definitely some jerks out there, but Python people tend on the whole to be kind of quiet and generous. More so than I've seen in many other languages. Like people, people in the, in the Lisp world often lament, like, how can it be that everyone isn't programming with Lisp when it's clearly superior? And by the way, I was brainwashed in college to believe Lisp is clearly superior. And the answer I've heard from a whole lot of places is because the Lisp people were jerks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so they might have had a great language, but no one wanted to work with them. And, you know, the Python people just tend to be really you know, warm and nice and giving. And you see it like by the incredible number of free resources online. Maybe that's why Paul Graham was attracted to Lisp. Is he a jerk? I don't know. I think he is. Uh, is. Oh, could could very well be. I, I mean, <laughs> I, so, I yeah, think he accidentally a jerk, made, made so by an exceptional amount of good fortune and the wrong kind of people thinking he's awesome and that kind of thing. Okay, I can believe that. That'd make almost anybody a jerk. <laughs> That's why I'm a jerk. <laughs> so I feel like we're a little in the weeds here. <clears throat> uh, Python's awesome, okay, and they're and Python developers are the nicest people, okay. <laughs> so that's a takeaway for this week, yes. Yes, yeah. and now I now I want to be a Python person. So that's part of your value proposition. Um, all right, so I mean, if we pull this back to for for people who are thinking about doing a product and maybe would have done the exact same sorts of things that you did, Ruben, in this launch. What are some takeaways, perhaps, you know, the good, bad and the ugly? Like, what would you do differently? What what should people be thinking about if they're going to sort of blaze into this world of taking their skill, their freelance skill and, and take that expertise that they have from freelancing and turn it into some kind of digital product? So first thing, and perhaps most importantly, it's a long game, right? Like everyone thinks Internet has lots of people. 
I will sell to lots of people. I will make lots of money. And there are all these people who say, yes, you too can sell something online and make half a million dollars in the first year. I'm sure there are people who can. It's rare. But if you're willing to put in the time for that long game, and here, I mean, like, I'm very encouraged by what you guys are saying about the product here. Like, now I've got something. I've, I've got it all set up, like, how I do it, what I do, and I've got some people who are excited about it. But now, in some ways, the hard work begins. Right now, I've got to think about, well, who am I marketing to and how? And so having a mailing list, definitely, definitely helpful. I can't imagine having launched this thing without a mailing list, to which I was writing and continue to write just about every week. And I'm now up to, like, I don't know, issue 45 of my messages. So there are people who literally, for almost a year now, have been getting a message from me every single week or just about every single week. And that builds trust and the interest in, you know, paying me to do something as well. So I, I think that attitude and that initial investment is perhaps not crucial, but it'll certainly help. As we mentioned, like get out of the whole payment thing as much as possible, you know, do things manually more than I did. And I thought I was doing it to a large degree manually. Um, and, listen as much as you can to feedback, even beforehand, right? This is another thing that Amy Hoy talks about all the time, right? Like find out what are people's pain points? What are their problems? Talk to them, do a survey of your list if you can. Uh, and then you can hope to aim it in the right direction. Um, and then just prepare to sort of change things around. Um, I mean, perhaps I should have thought about doing more marketing earlier, but in some ways I feel like now that I've, know what I'm doing on the technical front, more or less. Now I've got something that I can actually market. I can say, look, this is what we will be doing just in the first three months. And I can give them a preview of the different stuff we'll be talking about because they exist already. Um, and and I, I think it's also important that perhaps this will fail. I don't think it will if I put in enough effort, but I do every so often think, well, you know what? Maybe I should just shut this down and like, you know, give people their money back. Um, the fact that, that I do a lot of training and that I need exercises encourages me to say, no, no, no. <laughs> like it sort of says, I say to myself, I'm going to keep going because the worst case scenario is I finish this after a year. Then I have a year long course that I can offer to people for a flat fee and I just don't renew anyone's subscriptions. But then I've gotten 52, uh, exercises out of the deal that I can use in my courses. I can just recycle them. Yeah. You kind of can't lose. Right. If you guys have other other lessons I could or should learn, I'm uh, happy to hear them. And then I think we'll move into picks. Do you uh, have a sort of, uh, I don't know, a, a sort of mental threshold where you would shut the service down or stop uh, trying to sell it and just kind of let it taper down through attrition? Or do you think in those terms or are you just kind of taking it more short term? Right now, it's more short-term, and I keep thinking to myself, because someone actually asked me, someone who signed up for it, he said, so how long are you planning to do this for? And I said, oh, I was thinking I was going to do it forever. There's this guy in the Ruby world, Abdi Grimm, who's been doing, uh, I think, weekly or twice-weekly videos about Ruby for seven, eight years now, and he's some crazy number of subscribers. So I keep thinking, okay, like I could be like him and just come up with a new idea every week and get more advanced over time if I want to, because the person who's in the year two will definitely have more advanced questions than need the person in year one. Or I could just make it a year-long product. Like I, I really don't know, but I'll, you know, it's another what forty weeks until I get there, so I'll worry about it then. Yeah, and it's not that I think you should. I'm just I'm always curious about that because so many things that we do can can be experiments, right? Because 
the, you know, there's really no capital involved. There's some time and maybe you pay for some software, but, you know, the cost is so incredibly low, which is, like, I think, part of why we're all attracted to, attracted to doing business this way. Uh, it's very profitable, right? So I'm just, I'm always right. curious that people are thinking, well, I will try this for this amount of time, and then if the following is not true, it's dead. It's out of here. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll keep you guys updated. All right, let's do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android. And all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, Jonathan, what you got for us this week? Well, let's see. We were just talking about making money online. So I think I'll pick Nick D and Kai Davis's podcast called Make Money Online, which I did the intro for. It sounds just like that. <laughs> uh, but as comical as that title is it's definitely tongue-in-cheek you should check out make money online with nick d and kai davis to uh, learn all sorts of interesting tips for dealing with these kinds of things you know selling products online i believe that is makemoney.online.com but we'll put the links at not.com makemoney.online i think is what it's called but uh i will put the link here we will put the links in the show notes and i'll also tell you about the uh, a, a related course that uh, email, free email course that you can get from me at the longest domain name I've ever purchased, which is how to build your first productized service.com. <laughs> yeah. So you can, it's, I suppose, uh, maybe easy to remember, maybe not. I don't know, but link in the show notes and you can go there and sign up for a free email course about how to take do a, a, a half step toward what Ruben has done and take a service that you provide and package it and market it like a product to make it easier to sell. So that is how to build your first productized service.com. And that's it for me. Excellent. Excellent. Philip, what you got? Well, I'm going to pick the Python programming language. <laughs> it, it's the one that I've maybe used more productively than any other programming language in the past. I am, I, I would not even use the word programmer or developer uh, in reference to myself, but I found Python easy enough to use with some background in Perl and basic, you know, procedural programming languages like basic and uh, I guess PHP can be done that way. It, it just was, um, I don't know. I, I resonated a lot with what you were saying, Ruben. I, I think in ref a little bit of reflection, one of the things about Python 
is that it is like when combined with all the libraries out there and all this kind of uh, accumulated knowledge about how to use it, it's sort of like having access to a superpower. You can do stuff that it feels like a beginning programmer should not be able to do. Like it's, and that feeling, you reach the end of that at some point, but at first it's very addictive, I think, for that reason. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. It's so easy. I think it's the same thing with Rails. I think that's part of the popularity of both of those languages is you're just astonished at what you can do after just learning a few basic concepts. It's very cool. So um, nothing to link anybody to there. Just a, uh, a sort of testimonial about the beauty and power of Python. And I, I realize that its usage of white space is endlessly frustrating to some, but uh, if you can get over that, it, I guess I think it's worth your consideration. That's it. That's my pick for this week. Excellent. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention also that um, everyone, when they start with Python, hates the white space thing. Hates, hates, hates it. Um, and I tell them, yeah, you're right to hate it. If you, use, but if you use an editor that knows Python, then it's not an issue. Like then just taking care, it's taking care of for you. But you need to. Use such an editor. Well, um, perhaps you'll perhaps you'll pick one for the budding Pythonistas in the crowd. <laughs> well, oh, that's actually not a bad idea. So, so okay, so now now I've expanded three picks from one. So, uh, my first pick is the best editor ever, which is Emacs, um, which I was brainwashed to use in college, and as with all things you're brainwashed to say, they are true. So Emacs is amazing and wonderful and terrific. However. Um, I learned uh, the hard way in teaching people and saying to them, hey, uh, why don't you use Emacs? The hatred in their eyes toward me was so huge because <laughs> the learning curve is pretty steep. So there's something called PyCharm, and PyCharm CE, the community edition, is uh, free. And so you can download and use it. It's even open source. And I've been using that, or I've been telling my students to use PyCharm for the last few, uh, last, I guess, two years or so, maybe even three, and they're delighted with it. And it's used by real Python programmers. It's not just like a toy. Um, and so I definitely suggest anyone who wants to start doing Python and doesn't really have a strong grasp of, you know, you know, manly man editors, or people who like to call themselves, you know, manly man type editors, then, uh, should definitely, definitely try PyCharm. And I'd say it has many advantages over the others, including the fact that there's just a, a company behind it. Spending a lot of time advancing and improving it. So those are my first two picks. And the third pick, which was originally my first pick, um, my mother-in-law suggested that I read a book. Uh, she, she gave it to me, I guess, about like a month or so ago. She said, this is amazing. And I thought, oh, okay, fine, fine, I'll take a look at it. And I've been reading it over our vacation away, and I am completely and utterly blown away by it. It's called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind uh, by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Um, and really a huge amount of food for thought about how people think, how people work. Um, his, his, like the way he describes it is there are many kinds of dogs. There are many kinds of, I don't know, cats, many kinds of lizards, but there's only one kind of human. What the heck? Like, how is it possible that only one kind of human has survived through evolution? And so he describes what makes Homo sapiens different from Neanderthals and Homo erectus and so on and so forth. Um, and what sort of powerful thinking tools we have as individuals and as groups. Really, really, like like every page, I'm, I haven't finished it yet, but every page is just full of interesting thoughts that um, are resonating throughout the day inside of my head. So I uh, highly recommend it. Um, and with that, I guess we reached the conclusion of this slightly longer than usual, but hopefully interesting and entertaining edition of The Freelancer Show. 
Thanks to all of you out there for listening, and we will be back next week. Adios. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.